Welcome to the Home Service Business Coach Podcast with your host, David Mowerman. You will learn to grow your home service business and transition from being the technician in your business to being the CEO and leading your team to success. Get a front row seat where you will get practical advice from industry experts on how you can level up your home service business. Get ready to take some notes because we're going to jump right into it here. What is going on today, guys? Dave Mormon, your home service business coach. I've got a special episode for you here where I actually get into my story a little bit deeper. Uh, I sit down with my friend Colin Toop of Tools of the Trade podcast, and he asked me a number of questions about my pressure washing business, Revive Washing, how I got started, what our plan is for this year, and how we are growing. And so uh, I just wanted to share transparently with Colin and his listeners on this episode, and I thought you could find some value in it. Uh, you know, you're listening to me every week, watching my YouTube videos, consuming my content. I wanna be as transparent as possible with you. And I thought this is a good episode to air because I get into my mindset and where my pressure washing business is going to this next year. So I really hope you enjoy this episode as I sit down with my friend Colin Toop. Uh, it is a little bit of a lengthier episode. As I said, we get into a bit more detail of my journey, but I really think there'll be some value in there for you. Uh, and as always, please subscribe to my podcast and don't be shy to share it around. I like giving out the free value. So if you're in Facebook groups or on your Facebook page, uh, share it out because I want to get the word out to help people grow their service-based businesses. Thanks again for watching, guys, and I think you'll find some big value in it. I'm Dave Mormon, and you're listening to the Tools of the Trade podcast. Welcome. 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 Please welcome to another episode of the Tools of the Trade podcast, your number one construction industry resource. Hear conversations with industry professionals to get the tools, stories, and advice that you need to set your career on fire. You're now streaming the Tools of the Trade podcast. What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in to episode number 25 of Tools of the Trade. If this is your first time listening or it's been a while, I'm your host, Colin Toop, and thank you so much for joining us here for another episode today. I created this podcast to not only change the optics of the construction industry, but to provide apprentices, journey persons, small business owners, executives, and really everyone in between with valuable resources that they can use to accelerate their professional growth and leadership. And if you're listening, yes, that means you. How do I do this? Well, I do this by interviewing the brightest minds I can find in the construction world or in roles that support our field to extract the stories you want and the tools that you need to set your career on fire. This week's guest is the founder of Revive Washing, Dave Mormon. Dave most definitely fits the description of an ethical and a serial entrepreneur. He has spent the last seven years not only building a successful house painting business, but spent four of those last seven years building Revive. Revive is not just an exterior cleaning company, but rather Dave's way of building a bigger, more impactful business that gives back to the global community. He does this by donating 3% of all profits to clean water projects through the nonprofit organization Hope International. To date, his organization has sponsored over 15 clean water projects in Prasat, Cambodia, and Chano Dorga, Ethiopia, which I probably just butchered, my apologies. 
If you are interested in learning more about Hope International or donating to the Clean Water Initiative, head over to hope-international.com and click on the donate button in the menu bar or check out this page on toolspodcast.com backslash revive. This story in and of itself is a reason to listen to this episode, but Dave also shares his insights and opinions on the following. Where home service companies typically fail, how he recruits and retains top talent, how he onboards and trains for consistency, why he considers his company to be a customer service company that happens to do exterior cleaning and not the other way around, and many other entrepreneurial anecdotes from his many years of building companies. To say hello to Dave, get in touch with Revive or browse the key information mentioned in this episode, head to toolspodcast.com backslash revive. Now, please give it up for my friend, Dave Mormon. Dave, thanks so much for joining me on Tools of the Trade today. How are you doing? Good, man. Thanks for having me out. I appreciate it. Of course. I'm really excited to get your story because I like talking to the home service companies because I feel as though it's it's more challenging than somebody that may have a fully booked year and doesn't work as seasonally as some of you guys do. So we're going to kind of bounce all over the place. We're going to talk about how you got to where you are, what inspires you to continue on the entrepreneurial journey and how you built your company. And we're going to meander through all that. And the first place that I want to get started, just for context of the listeners, is explain a little bit about your company and what your role is in the company today. Yeah, sure. So uh, currently, I'm the owner and the general manager of Revive Washing. We are a one-stop shop for exterior cleaning. So our ideal client is really an affluent residential customer. And uh, we specialize in exterior house washing, window washing, gutter cleaning, and pressure washing. So those services uh, keep us quite busy. And uh, we actually just added uh, Christmas light installation too, just uh, last fall. So we just went through our first season of uh, Christmas lights as well. So amazing. I want to I want to get into that a little bit uh, later, because I, I was thinking about implementing something like that at a company that I started with here. But mm. what does the day to day look like for you and your company right now? Yeah, so right now, just kind of like we we're talking off the call, you know, we're in February now. So kind of our two real slow months are January, February. So the last couple months for me has really been, uh, you know, kind of tearing apart systems in our business, things that are a little bit clunky going through them. I just came back from a conference here in Phoenix where I got lots of learning. So just implementing what I've learned. But once our season gets going, I'm uh, kind of wearing a lot of different hats. I've recently graduated myself out of our office. So when you're running a cleaning business, it's almost like running a bit of a dispatch service. So the phone's ringing crazy and you're, you know, sending out quotes as quick as you can, uh, can keep up to them. So I've got a really good office manager now uh, who shares my same name. So David's running the office, which is great. And then I find myself spending my time really coaching. I'm coaching David in the office. I'm coaching our, uh, our crew leads that are actually out doing the work. And then I have a part-time sales rep as well who I'm coaching. So I'm slowly moving my way up through the company, started as a technician, then in the office through sales. And now I'm wearing that general manager hat on a day-to-day basis here. That's great. I think a, a lot of people strive to get in that position where they can have a bit of freedom. And it sounds like you're you're kind of in that position now. How many hours a day do you think you put in or a week? That's a good question, man. I would say 
our crazy time is like April, May, June, July. So that's when I'm, you know, really pushing there. The weeks can be up to 60 hours a week. I don't tend to hop over that. I, uh, I take Sundays off, uh, non-negotiable Saturdays when we're busy, I'll usually get up early and crush a few hours out in the morning. And then uh, Monday to Friday, you can count on minimum 10 hour day. By the time it's 8 a.m. and the guys are in the field, our phone's ringing and uh, there's there's lots to do. But uh, if I'm in the 40 to 50 hour range, that's pretty normal. And, and we're pushing 60 when we're really full throttle spring and summer. That's awesome. Because I think back to a lot of the roles that I've had now working for other contractors as an employee. And I don't think that you're anybody's really working the traditional 40 hour week anyways. I mean, most people are working the, you know, 60 plus if you are in a management position of some kind, or if you're on big projects, depending on obviously your salary range and what you're looking for, but that's quite an accomplishment to have, you know, relatively the same amount of hours in a week as somebody that's working for somebody else. So I commend you on that because I think a lot of people think, over time that they want to get to that place, but they're, they're kind of stuck in the, the really busy working every day, seven days yeah. a week thing. And it's tough, man. And I think too, we get pitched through our society and the entrepreneurship circles, you know, live that automated lifestyle, chill on a beach. And I, I don't doubt that that exists, but I think when you own the business um, or you're in a leadership position, you know, you may only be clocking in for the 50 hours a week, but there is that mental toll, that emotional toll that, you know, you'll go to sleep, wake up thinking about those big problems in your company. So I would even add that on to another level of, you know, when you're physically in the office or in the field, there is that mental element as well. You're always trying to solve some problem that you might not necessarily see if you're, you know, a team member or an employee in a company. Yeah, for sure. So now that you're in this place where you're taking off some of the hats, you're moving your way up out of the office into a general manager role, I wanted to know a bit about your background, where you got started and how you basically give me the snapshot from, let's say, leaving high school to getting to where you're at now. Yeah, good question. So I came out of high school and all I really wanted to do is actually um, play soccer on a scholarship. So I got into a local university, uh, University of the Fraser Valley, and I got in on their soccer team on a scholarship. And uh, I actually just kind of threw mud at a wall and picked to study business largely because the captain of the soccer team, who I thought was the coolest guy around, he was doing a business (laughs) degree. And uh, also my older sister had just started her business degree too at another university down the road. So I picked that and, uh, you know, really just wanted to play soccer. And what happened was actually after my first year of uh, playing competitive soccer, I actually had two concussions pretty much back to back within four weeks of each other. And they're both pretty bad concussions too, so much that I was actually on bed rest for close to a month. just couldn't do anything. I saw the the good thing with Abbotsford is there's a couple really high-end head trauma doctors there that... Uh, I was blessed to be kind of in that situation and I could see a couple of these doctors and what happened was I basically got diagnosed. I couldn't head a ball anymore. And so for those of you with a sports background in soccer, I was a, a central defender and you really only have two roles and one is to, you've got these little forwards that are very fast and try run around you. So you're largely heading the ball probably 20 to 40 times a, a game 
as well as, you know, tackling and you're really in charge of running your defensive line and keeping the team strong from a defensive end. So when I found out I couldn't head the ball anymore, that was pretty much packing up shop. So I had to make a, a big pivot. And so I was kind of soccer was all I really knew through my teens. That's all I played. All I wanted to do was get school paid for and play soccer. So once I got out of bed rest, I actually met a campus recruiter at UFE at the time. And it was 2009 then, and it sounds dated now, but he gave me a CD-ROM where I could run <laughs> my own uh, student painting business. And I just remember it said, you know, make $20,000 in a summer. At the time, I was a broke student, didn't have soccer anymore. And so I thought, what the heck, I'll give it a go. So I, uh, I got recruited and that company was called University First Class Painters, very similar to like a college pro model. They recruit young kids in university, 19, 20 years old, and they really train them for how to run your own business, how to be your own boss. And so I really got a feel for business through my first, I did that for four years, actually um, running a student painting business. I would, uh, you know, operate work full-time spring, summer, and then go back to school and kind of do that, that flip-flop there. Uh, I did that for four years there. Cool. And then after, after you've got that business, how did yeah. you make your way into entrepreneurship? Was it always in the back of your mind? Yeah. You know, I finished, I finished the uh, student painting there. I did one last year while I was out of school. And I, I, at that time, I thought I would go get, you know, a fancy business job as some of my colleagues were doing, I, I figured I'd be suit and tie looking for that real job. And I put my resume out even a little bit, but I just didn't get, I don't know if I wasn't employable or what, but nothing, uh, nothing really seemed to click. So I ended up actually carrying more into my entrepreneurship journey and I actually bought a painting franchise. So I bought the franchise for the student painting company called uh, Elite Trade Painting. So I just actually wrapped that up there. I did uh, did six seasons with them, and uh, you know that was uh, that was very much my livelihood coming out of university up till last year. And you know I'm very thankful for that business because it paid my bills while I was able to get revive off the ground in the last three years here. So you're running both of those simultaneously. Yeah, I'm running both, man. And I was very much the hub of both businesses. So it was, uh, you know, for the last three years, it was uh, full on. I've got my painting crews over here and I've got cleaning, you know, with Revive, getting that going. So uh, it was, uh, I felt like a, a bit of a juggler the last three years. <laughs> no kidding. So why are you, when you say wrap it up, that, that means yeah. that you're not going to be part of it anymore? Yeah, so I'm I'm now finished with that franchise. So the plan was again, I was very thankful to operate that franchise, you know, the last 6 years, but it really came to a point where, you know, I'm paying this this royalty fee for this brand that I've got and they really took me under their wing from knowing nothing about painting to getting me up and operating, teaching me how to run a business, but it came to a point where I grew the company to you know what I'm paying in in franchise fees, it almost came to an amount. Well, I looked around and thought, you know, I could hire a manager almost for the fees that I'm paying. So I gave them a lot of heads up notice that Revive is really going to be my my exit plan out of that into building a brand that I'm really passionate about um, in a in a different industry. And uh, like I said, I just finished up the painting business late last year in 2019. Interesting. Yeah. So. 
did they know that you had revive from from the get-go that you were starting that or is that something you kept under wraps for a little while no, no they did i came i started revive in 2016 i came right out and said look i'm i'm not going to compete with the painting business i'll keep my painting business going i'll run them as completely two separate entities and this is my long-term plan is to build the cleaning and build the christmas lights and I know that I'm still under a non-compete agreement for a few years here as I've exited out. So um, it, it was though, man, like a big pivot to make because the painting got built up. I had a bunch of painters going, saw some success and and kind of was a little bit of a punch to the gut coming to a point saying 30 years old now. And I don't see myself passionate about this brand through the next decade of my life. So I knew that is it's almost like tearing off a bandaid. I knew I had to saw a bit of a why in the road and I knew I had to go the one way, even though it was a bit painful to do so. Yeah, no kidding. And when you started Revive, I think like most trades businesses from my perspective that I'm seeing and that I have seen, they start on the tools, so to speak, doing the work themselves. And you probably didn't have that luxury, did you? I mean, no, I, I started a little bit on the tools with Revive, but I'm not a I would say I'm not really like a hands-on kind of handy technical guy. My skill set is definitely more in sales and marketing. So, you know, I, I started a little bit hands-on with Revive, but I would say by the first two months, I had my right-hand guy hired to, you know, really oversee uh, oversee the actual production of the of the crew. Wow. So yeah. that's that's quite the story. Having two businesses at once, I couldn't imagine. Like one seems hard enough to me, but I guess a lot of people get stuck, like I mentioned, in the um, in the technician mode, and that doesn't allow them to get into the office. And I, I feel as though if you were able to start, quote unquote, in the office first, it would be a little bit easier to see the business from a business perspective. I mean, I know that's that was my problem. I, I was mm. stuck in the field a lot of times. And although I was uh, in a partnership and I was in charge of operations, it felt as though the more that I got involved with the clients on a hands-on basis and gave them my contact information, the harder it was for me to pull myself out. And I got trapped in there a little bit. You're completely right, Colin. I think it's a common thing that happens in trades. I think guys either they have proclivities one is to the production to the field and the other is to the sales and marketing and i think depending on your tendencies you'll kind of go one way or the other i have a good friend who runs a similar business in kamloops and his tendency is to go dive into the field and pump out jobs because he's quicker than his crews where we laugh because all my guys are way better than me in the field but my skill set is i'm a bit ocd and i'm very organized and so that's why I stayed in the office for two years because it's safe and there's air conditioning and nice coffee. And I love, you know, <laughs> I love being behind the scenes and keeping everything organized and not dropping any balls. So um, I think you kind of have tendencies one way or the other. So I think it's just important to see each task you're doing each day, you know, which division of the business are you in and what is that dollar time per hour? Because if I look at my last two years, I put in all this time in the office, I scheduled over a 1000 jobs, I live booked people on the phone, I was really the superstar in my own business. But really, that's a, a 20, maybe $25 an hour task. And and now David, who's doing it, he's doing it way better than I am. And today he came to me and he goes, you know, you're doing this one thing on our CRM, you're actually doing it all wrong. Um, this is actually the better way to do it. And he's just blowing my mind on a weekly basis with these new things he's 
innovating and coming up with. I think we we get lost in our own heads that we're the quarterback, we're the superstar, uh, we're running the company, but that's not how it needs to be. Yeah, and I think also too, when you don't give people enough rope and enough freedom and you don't let them know that they can make changes and their job is to have the interest of the company in mind and that they can grow the division, when you give somebody that freedom, I, I feel as though they, they take it very seriously. When you, when you are always, like you mentioned, maybe over top of them and you're doing it your way and there's nothing but your way that it can be done, then you're going to really close those people in and they're not able to grow. And I think that's a perfect example there. You give somebody the ropes and they take it and it's their project and they can feel passionate about it and really own that role and, and grow it for sure. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think some business owners, you know, they bottleneck their own growth because as we know, you know, they're the only one who can do it this way and this is how it has to be done. And in all our job ads, the title we put at Revive, we do not micromanage because we don't know how, you know, we don't babysit. Uh, it is so not my style to be over somebody's shoulder. And and in fact, I'll often go too far the other way. I'll, you know, what the e-myth calls delegate by abdication. I'll go, here you go, David, take this on. I'll see you in a week. And that's not right either. So it's that tension and it's somewhere in the middle is what it should be delegating property. That's a whole nother uh, conversation we could have on that, but it's uh, I'm I'm learning it right alongside with uh, with the other business owners here. Yeah, and we we won't go too deep into the delegation versus abdication, but there's uh, I think it was like episode number five that I recorded with a buddy of mine called Greg Manning, and he talks about that a lot. And it's a huge it's it's almost just as bad a problem as as the micromanagement aspect. That the abdication is it can really leave somebody feel like they're lost out there alone and drowning and. They're not sure what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I wanted to know if home services, like you run, you ran a painting business, which seemed like you kind of fell into, and that's naturally a home services business. But how did you decide that you were going to start a washing company? Where did that passion come from for that type of work? Yeah, good, good question. So it's kind of a, a bit of a long story, but um I guess through the painting, I really proved to myself, look, I, this thing works. I can pay my way through school. Um, I bought a condo. I carried on with it. Uh, it provided a good life for me. So I thought, you know what, this works. And I'm just a huge fan of being right in the middle of a non-sexy business. What I've found is I'm so passionate about home services for, for many reasons, but one of them is it's it's quite looked down upon and almost frowned upon by peer groups, even, you know, homeowners, sometimes they, uh, there's not this, this respect for the trades in home services. And it's kind of looked down that you are kind of the slave to me, you know, the homeowner, and that's just kind of the way it is. And I think that's just been mm -hmm. a program through our society. So I see with that, anytime something's non-sexy, I see potential, I see an opportunity. And I think it's a, it's a fascinating industry that's changing rapidly. And I really just want to be in the hub of it. And with that, I, I love customer service too. I've had the best and the worst customer service in different industries. So I recognize this huge potential with this passion I have for, you know, customer service. And so that kind of landed me in in home services almost 2.0 here with the washing yeah and 
when it comes to washing, there's there's a few companies that uh, uh, come to mind immediately, and I'm sure that it's a fairly competitive market when you're going after homeowners. What do you think your differentiator is at Revive? Yeah, good question. So first off, there there's a ton of uh, house washing companies. I think on last count, just locally here, Surrey Langley, I think we're over 40 now that actually have, oh, wow. you know, listings on, that's just who has listings on Google My Business. You know, there's probably more as well. But, you know, for a differentiator, we're, we're trying to do this different. So back to the last question too, I find this, this industry that is not super glamorous, but I have this challenge of how can I create a company and this fun, make it a fun place to work. And, you know, the best way I could sum it up is, is Revive is essentially a, customer service company that also happens to wash the outsides of houses, clean gutters, clean windows, whatever it is. So that's not the secret sauce of our business is how clean the gutters are going to get. The secret sauce is when that truck pulls out of Mrs. Jones's house, how does she feel about Revive? Is is she feeling great inside? Is she feeling like she got great value? So that's a that's another reason why I love it. But back to the washing point too is what I really wanted to do was what I liked about painting was, you know, the profit margin is good. I love working for homeowners. I love the home service industry, but it kind of lacked a, a recurring uh, revenue element as well. So, you know, I tell people if you're playing baseball, painting, you're winning the game with home runs. If you're cleaning, you're winning the game with hitting singles around the base path. So um, that's another exciting opportunity too with the cleaning. But to answer your main question, the differentiators, I would say, is, is the people we hire. That's our secret sauce. Every area of our business, if we're on site, in the office, in sales, uh, I hire people who are better than me, who are smarter than me. And the guys know that. I know that. I'm, I have no ego to say that. Uh, and I think that makes us a better company. And then two is our number one core value is, is just our service. If you go onto Google and punch in, your service you want and you know say window washing in surrey or power washing in surrey there's a good chance our page will be coming up with um, google reviews and and our phone literally rings every day with people saying you know i read your google reviews i see what you're all about come do my job um, come take this off my plate so that would be a big differentiator and then the last one would be what we're doing overseas with clean water donate uh three percent of every project uh, to sponsor clean water projects in Cambodia. Um, again, clients every week call, email, say, we learned this about your company. That's amazing. You know, we also do a similar thing with XYZ. Uh, we're already best friends. Come take care of this job. So um, that's another another thing that, that makes us different in a really competitive industry. Yeah, for sure. And I was going to save that one for a little bit later, but now that we're here, how did you decide that you were going to give back to the clean water? And how did you actually go forth and pick that company? Uh, and the reason why I want to ask that is because I had that thought in the back of my mind when I had my company, and I think some people are looking for a way to give back. And it it's a little bit hard to choose a reputable company that's really going to put... Um, your dollar to work for you to really help those people and not take a lot off the top. So why and how? So it basically started, I'll run it back six years. So I turned 25 years old. As I said, I ran a painting business, uh, had some success with that. I had a business degree, found my life was just very, you know, routine. The last four years, I painted a bunch of homes and went to a bunch of business classes. So I turned 25, 
Uh, I bought a backpack and I booked a 40 day trip to go to Southeast Asia. So I picked, uh, arbitrarily picked Thailand and a friend of mine had uh, traveled all around the world. And he said, you know, Thailand's great, but if you want the best place I've ever seen, go to Vietnam. So I did kind of split up my trip that way and didn't think much of it. So I just left. I didn't uh, go with a cell phone. I put my phone in airplane mode. Uh, at the time, I had maybe one or two painters working back home. So I stayed in touch with them a little bit through email, but the business afforded me the time in a slow season to take off. So I got out of town and I uh, had a great vacation. But what struck me, which I didn't expect, was I was on a motorcycle tour in Vietnam and we were going through the countryside and my tour guide brought us to this one village and there's people there called the Ray people. And they barely had anything like they had to walk to get their clean water. Their houses were just like, like our garages here would look like luxury compared to what they were living in. And it was just like a kick to the face for me. I was 25 years old, raised in Western society, had everything possible I needed, had a business, a degree, and it just, I'm looking left and right, seeing these people, what they had and how happy they were. And I just saw a, a big need. And it was like that, literally that minute on that tour, my perspective shifted to like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this happens across the world and I'm right here on my motorbike. So um, that was a, a mindset shift for me. So I came back, um, flew back, and uh, that week I got home. Uh, my friend Brian was actually over at my condo and we were just chatting and I said, I've been doing more research about people who don't have what we have and been learning about something called the water crisis and was learning a lot online, um, you know, on YouTube and just seeing, connecting the dots, really what I saw to actually like, wow, this is actually a thing going on in the world. So um, Brian and I cooked up this plan where I basically said, look, I need to do something about this. I want to create some kind of an impact and and see what happens. I had at this point in my life ran the painting business was good, but I really didn't have much of a charitable component in in my life really. So, we decided to cook up this plan where we would invite all of our friends and our friends of friends to come out to a party. So we booked a hall in Surrey called the the Sullivan uh, Sullivan Hall. I think it seats or holds about 240 people. So, we ended up making a Facebook group and we said, uh, you know, we're going to throw the biggest, baddest party. We'll charge you 20 bucks at the door. All the proceeds from this event will go to sponsor well in Cambodia through a company at the time that I had grown quite fond of uh, called Charity Water. So we hosted the party. Tons of people came out and through the course of multiple parties, we were able to sponsor uh, a handful of wells through through Charity Water. And basically that turned into an event we would host for three years. We did a big party on New Year's Eve where we'd bring um, young adults to come out. And I think our biggest party was probably close to 400 people at, I think our tickets were around $40 on that last year. And uh, we ended up raising wow. a bunch of money for, uh, for Charity Water, you know, also just really brought awareness to our peer group. I mean, everybody at that party was like 20 to 30 years old and, I really wanted to just see one if it was possible to join people I knew to to create a bit of an impact. So now to back it up, I had the painting business and I had this kind of charitable party going on. We called it Party for a Purpose. 
and uh, and we ran that for a few years. So I kind of looked in the mirror. I knew I loved business. I knew I loved this. You know, I loved hosting events for clean water. That was what I was clearly passionate about. So um, I decided to create Revive. So it was May of 2016, and I uh, I thought I wanted to combine my business skills I had learned, combine that with my passion for clean water. And uh, I, I didn't want it to be something where, you know, when Revive grows to multi-millions and we have 200 grand in the bank, we'll cut a check to whatever organization. I wanted it to be from day one. And anybody who's started a business know that you're typically personally financing that first startup. And so it is really painful when you get your, I still have a picture of our first $300 check I got. We cleaned um, someone's gutters and, you know, knowing that's actually not all yours, it's going to all your line items to start up as well as 3% of that is going to go in a separate bank account. And that's going to go to Hope International to help fund more water projects. So that's kind of the genesis of, uh, of how Revive got started. And you've been back there, I'm assuming, to look at these wells and, and see what's going yeah, on? I've been a couple times now. I went two years ago just by myself and saw the first well that we uh, we sponsored. And then uh, just last year, I went with uh, my wife, Alex. We uh, we went again and saw saw some more projects. And it was amazing kind of that going twice because the first time I went, I saw this village had no water. And Hope was putting in uh, 198 water wells throughout this massive area in, in Persat, Cambodia. And I got to go two years later with Alex and meet the same family that I had met two years before that, you know, didn't have water. And they're lugging around these blue jerry cans with like this filthy, disgusting water. And we got to go two years later, meet that family again and see, like actually pump water from their well. And now that family turned entrepreneur, they're farming, they're making fruits, they're selling them at the market. And is like comp- one of the coolest experiences in my life to meet a family that didn't have water. And then two years later, go back and see like, my goodness, what a water well can do for a family and for a community. So that was like, so impactful on me. Man, yeah, I remember my time in Southeast Asia and I experienced the same thing. And we will link to all of uh, Hope International's website and everything on the podcast page here. So if anybody listening wants to do something similar or give back to the organization, I hope that uh, you feel empowered. Uh, It doesn't have to be clean water, but I think it's such a a cool way to be able to help those people. Like you mentioned, you're riding behind your motorbike. You're there kind of half for a bit of a party, half to travel, and you have such a great life back home. And there's these people that have like nothing. Mm It, amazing. it's amazing man and it's a it's still a, a big problem i think uh, the latest stat is about 660 million people in our world still don't have clean water so you know it's still very much a, a crisis i think just because we don't butt up to it in our day-to-day lives it's kind of like a out of sight out of mind but uh, one of the biggest recommendations i'd have is just for somebody to get out of your bubble because like like I said I bought a backpack on Craigslist I just went no idea clean water or charity component nothing I just wanted to sit on a beach and eat pizza and have have a beer or two but uh, it, it my motives going into that trip I came back like completely changed and 
that was only, you know, five, six years ago. And now I look that what revives becoming because of that trip, it's a special feeling and it makes getting up every day through, you know, some days are definitely tougher than others when you're running your business. But Simon Sinek talks about having your why really grounded. And I think if you know, why are you actually building this? Like, yeah, creating money, a great business for your family, that's all good. But I think if there's something that runs deeper, like that really identifies with your heart and why you do something, um, it, it makes those days that are rough, uh, makes you really get through them. Yeah, a little bit of extra motivation for yeah, sure. Exactly. So going back to your right hand man, Dave, and your recruiting process, I know that it's when we think of home services, like you mentioned, it's it's looked down upon in homeowners' eyes. And I think this goes back to some conversations I've had with other tradespeople. And it takes it takes one bad contractor to kind of spoil it for the rest of us, so to speak. Uh, you could have one bad experience and you're forever jaded hiring somebody to come work on your property. And when you have a business like yours that's somewhat seasonal, and you mentioned you're in a slow period right now, it seems like it would be tough to retain and attract talent without having to constantly go through a rehiring process. And I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about what your process likes for going out and finding an all-star because obviously you've had to do it in your painting company and then when you started revive you had to hire somebody to essentially run whether it's either just a job or the office now you have that person full-time so i'd be interested to hear what your process looks like and if you're able to actually retain these people the next year after the slow season is over yeah good question uh colin it's it's definitely the the biggest challenge in our business. Like again, a whole nother talk on how hard it is to find people today. And, you know, young people don't want to work and this and that, but I think I've accepted the reality that it is a difficult job, but it also like, I'm all for uh, loving a big challenge. And I think if you want to challenge, like start a service business today in 2020 and, and try get a staff you know, beside you to help grow this thing. So I see it as kind of the ultimate challenge every day. Recruiting is a whole lot more than just paying your $35, posting an ad on Craigslist and waiting for your email and phone to blow up. It definitely doesn't, doesn't happen like that anymore. Recruiting is like a holistic, it's a holistic game that requires tons of effort. So I spend... 50% of my time in in marketing sales lead generation and the other 50% is on recruiting more all-stars, checking in with our existing staff, making sure that they're happy. So th those would be where my time goes. So I don't have any secret sauce or, you know, there's no magic bullet to to recruiting. I know through my, you know, painting career, I probably hired over 100 painters and in Revive alone this year we're going to need to probably get to around 15 new people coming on to join our team. So um, it's definitely something I'm still working on and learning, but I think it comes down to uh, the question is, would you work for you? And I think if you look in the mirror and you can honestly say like, yeah, I would love to work for me, you're going to find success. But I think if you're looking in the mirror and you're a bit hesitant and you can't you know, honestly say that you would work for yourself, I think there could be a problem. So. I'll share a couple things that we do and and maybe the listener will find a bit of value. So again, our services aren't glamorous. We're cleaning gutters, we're cleaning windows. I couldn't think of really a service that's more kind of, you know, could be seen as laborious or mundane or something that somebody 
wouldn't like. So what we try to do, we try to make that fun. We tell our guys what I said earlier, we're running, you know, a customer service business. It's all about service for the customer. And yes, we provide these services, but it comes back to serving the customer. So one, I'm a big fan in in paying more than than the industry average. So, you know, if a technician is making $17 an hour for industry average, I would pay them probably $20, like that level of divide. And uh, in addition to the base wage that our techs get, we add in performance bonuses. So if they are, you know, hitting a certain amount of production per truck per day, they're getting percentage based on that gap. So if they're going to, you know, crush out an extra long day and add more revenue to revive, um, they're going to get a cut of that. So a form of like a piece rate model. Point two, we give them uh, gift cards if their charge rate is above a certain rate. So again, in addition to that piece rate, they're going to get a monetary bonus as well as gift cards for their charge rate if they're beating, you know, where we want them to be. And then uh, we're paying them for every single review that they get. So every Google review is worth $20 and Homestars and Facebook is worth 10 And the beauty with cleaning is that truck's going to probably three jobs a day and everybody's got an email address. So, you know, we probably, there are guys get reviews on probably almost half our projects that we do. And then they also get tips from homeowners that they get to keep. So suddenly, instead of comparing against that guy making 17 at the competitor down the road, our guy's making 20 with all the bonuses. He's probably north of $25 an hour. And I would say working for a more fun company. So again, the money's got to come from somewhere. So we have no, uh, we don't pull any punches saying we're a premium price provider. Uh, we tell everybody that on the phone. If you're looking for the lowest quote, um, that's not going to be us. But we do you know, strive to bring the best value. So I think those are kind of some key tips with recruiting. And you know, if I hire, say, 20 staff this year, I could probably bet on, 13 or 14 of them being friends or acquaintances of our current staff, if that makes sense. So yep. I'm a big fan of hiring from what we call loose ties. So kind of that six degree rule is is so true. We always run our ads online pretty well year round and do get some people that way. But the best people are uh, look at your current staff and sit them down and go get their friends because those are the guys that I love to grow through through our company. And how often are these people coming back uh, season after season or are a lot of them a bit younger and kind of moving on over time? Yeah, sorry, that was the other part of your question. I knew there was more. Um, (laughs) We've shifted our our business model, Colin. We want the person who, you know, is married with maybe the kid or has the rent to come up with or who has aspirations. We're not looking for someone just passing by who you know, wants to pick up a power washing wand. Um, We want that year round guy. And we've drawn up, you know, our ideal avatar as we have that for our customer. We also have that for our technicians. So who's our ideal, our ideal person. And so we keep our core together. Even right now, January, February, we do put our, uh, our main staff go on EI for kind of our two dead months here where there's nothing going on. But come March 1st, they'll be back going. We'll have jobs for them to do. And uh, like I said earlier in the talk, um, we did add Christmas lights last year. So now our November, our December are actually some of our busiest months of the year as we continue to grow. 
um, which I'm really excited about. So it's going to be hiring people now on a 10 month season and they'll have two months off where, you know, they'll have some money from EI. They could uh, take time off and do the things that maybe they don't have time for uh, the rest of the year. Are you guys coming back to remove those lights as well with the installation? Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're again, one-stop shop. So our quote is going to include uh, your install. It's going to include the purchase of the lights themselves. That's a one-time purchase, obviously, because they're really good lights. We come back to take them down, and then we offer you uh, safe and heated storage as well. So some people would rather save the money, keep the lights in their garage. Some people literally just want to swipe their credit card and say, you guys go keep the lights. So we've got a storage facility now that has, you know, people's Christmas lights in there that we're, uh, we're keeping for next season. Amazing. I like that turnkey service. Cool. Yeah. Um, in your opinion, and I, I think that you've, you've touched on this already in, in some degree, but where do you think most home service companies fail? What I would say from my experience I mean, everybody's going to go with the cash flow card. I'm, I'm not going to say that uh, for this one. I would actually say in my circle I run in, like I'll go power washing specific. I think my colleagues can sink themselves on overspending on the equipment and all the doodads rather than keeping a, a very intense focus on sales and marketing. So as I started Revive Up, I bought pre-owned everything. Um, the equipment was a pretty small line item of our budget compared to the marketing. You know, nothing happens till a sale is made, till the phone is ringing. So I think what happens is guys overspend on equipment. Um, they don't have any money left to spend on marketing. They find themselves stuck on the job site. They can't pull themselves off and start to really, you know, build systems and grow their business. And it's something I found in in painting. I didn't you know, it, it was nice. I was in a franchise. I was given some level of systems, but um, with Revive, there's a whole nother host of systems that need to get created. And I think, you know, business owners, they get caught up in the truck and they don't have time to, to go and start systematizing their business. And unfortunately, I think you just get caught in the kind of same cycle every year. And that's why, you know, these coaching programs that are starting to come up, there's a huge opportunity for them because it's something I've benefited from so much having mentors and coaches and going through coaching programs and investing in my own education. Like Revive is still very small and I'm on a daily journey of, of growing it and making it better, but it'd be nowhere where it is today if it wasn't for, you know, learning and, and mentors and being in coaching programs. Mm -hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, now, you mentioned systematizing your business, and obviously, when you have a home services company, there's a lot of there's a lot of systems at play in terms of dispatch, uh, and you have so many moving parts on a daily basis. What do you think are like the top two systems that you guys are running to help you stay organized and efficient in the field? Yeah, so one one big one would be uh, having a good CRM, so customer relationship management. Again, if advice, if you're just starting up, I'd say get on a CRM. We took about four different softwares for a bit of a test drive, and um, we actually settled on one called Jobber, uh, which is very simple to use software. There's definitely more you know, integrated, sophisticated CRMs, no doubt. I picked Jobber largely because of how simple it is for the guys to use in the field. 
And uh, it kind of just spoke to me fundamentally at my core. I'm not a complicated, sophisticated person. I love simplicity and Jobber was the one. So we've been with them now a year and a half and uh, it's a great platform to grow on, run multiple crews and been really good. So that would be one system to stay organized. Another one would be, you know, just your sales system as well. Like we were talking before the call, what, what's that life cycle of your customer? What, what happens when they call in? What are you saying on the phone? When can they expect their quote? How are they getting that quote? How is the follow-up? Do they get notified when the crew's on the way? So there's, there's so many moving parts, as you say, that you, know, you could spend a full day in one little area of your business building out a new system. But uh, while, while we're small and growing, I'll tell you kind of my way. I've got about six or seven different manuals on my computer, sales manual, production manual, technician training manual, production manager manual. So as we screw up things in our business and like I said, tear systems apart, tweak things, um, I'm on those documents almost every other day. I get up really early. I go to Starbucks down the street. First hour or so, maybe two hours of my day, no one calls me that early. And I'm on those manuals, dragging in pictures, rewriting processes. And, and I'm now starting to bring some of my guys into and say, you know, John, what do you think of this window cleaning process? Could we tweak that? And we're just always improving our best practices. And, and I, think, uh, I think that's how you build a good company. Those, those manuals can't sit on the bookshelf and no one touch them. I think they need to be constantly massaged and reviewed and, and made better. Yeah, I think that's the important thing to underscore there. Um, I think there's a common misconception that you can be a couple of years in business and just sit back one afternoon and write out a training manual and then it's it's good as gold for as long as, long as it's on the yeah. shelf, like you said. But it has yeah. to be organic and you have to be taking those learning lessons and constantly evolving your processes. And that's how you're going to stay ahead of the market too, because things change and processes change and tools and equipment and homeowners expectations and Google and everything is always evolving. So it's, you know, you have to, you have to stay current with all that stuff. And I think too, it, you probably noticed that when you have a system like that and you're able to get feedback from the field about processes that aren't working, it's not somebody out there alone that's washing windows away. They don't think is more is efficient and not being able to do it one way. And you're soliciting that feedback. So they feel like they're heard. And that's probably an underlying retention tool in some way. Absolutely, man. Like I was literally just sitting with uh, my tech John there after our, our team meeting. And he's a guy we're trying to grow through the company. And he's got an extensive background in window cleaning. And I literally gave him our window cleaning manual like yesterday and said, here's your, you know, six pages. Can you spin this and make this more golden for me? Add some photos. He's going to be helping with our training. So again, looking at your team and saying, Dave, you the business owner, there's actually better qualified people who can champion different areas of the business. And uh, there's no reason that we need to wear all the hats. One, one last thing too, to get back to your last point on, you know, business owners failing while we're on this point. I think there's yeah. a, a common trend that the businesses who get stuck are the owners that are reluctant to learn. And I think, as you say, Google changes what seems to be every month. Um, things in our areas are in our business are constantly changing. And I think it's the business owners who have this hunger to learn, who aren't scared to write a check to go to that conference or 
go have coffee with that person or jump on this podcast with you. I think you kind of need that open palm. You know, you're okay to go in and dive in and go learn something from a mentor or just show up. And there's always something to be learned from podcasts, books, you know, conferences, coaching academies. The You can really drive yourself crazy with learning. And I think sometimes I feel like I am, but I think if you have that posture of, wanting to learn and improve your business. I think you're you're naturally going to improve with the times. Yeah, no doubt. One of the things that I've been experiencing and I've been asking people about this and I want your take on it, um, and this is mainly through the lens of Instagram and social media, I'm seeing that it seems as though the industry is starting to pick up some traction in terms of their quality and their reputation. And there's a lot of younger guys like us that are coming into the trades and they are they really care about a lot of the things that you just mentioned. Are you finding that the industry is starting to evolve? Do you feel an evolution a little bit coming in the trades and home services businesses? You mentioned there's coaching platforms and all sorts of things that are coming now. Is that something you're experiencing on your end? I think so, man. Yeah, like I, it, the industry fascinates me. I try to learn as much as I can about it. I think, uh, you know, as the quote goes, you're either learning or you're either growing or you're dying. You know, there's no real staying the same. So I think you're either jumping on the boat or you're going to be sinking as the as the time goes but yeah i think it's a fascinating space i think the home services in general are just so fragmented and there's not a lot of companies that have really hit it and learned how to really grow and scale and i think it'll be a really interesting space to see which big player you know if that's google coming in with some type of uh, home service remedy you know, even Amazon now in the States with Amazon Home Services, we don't have that here in Canada yet. But I was just talking to my brother-in-law over dinner the other day. And, you know, if you live in the States, you can book your window cleaning online. You buy a TV, it says, oh, would you like to have a handyman come out and put that up for 99 bucks? Well, like, yes, I would. Booked and amazing what what's going to happen, I think, in our space and in the next, uh, It's I think it'll happen like pretty quick. I, I don't know that like, robots and AI will come very quickly and be, you know, cleaning our house, painting our house with a robot. I I have a hard time seeing that soon. But uh, I think, you know, the next five years, 10 years, I think there'll definitely be some changes. And I think if you're not, you know, look at social media, how are, uh, how are our consumers now finding us, you know, it's on Google, Um, they're reading our reviews, they're, you know, looking us up on Facebook, they're looking us up personally on LinkedIn and Facebook, Oh, I want to see what this guy's about, does he actually care about clean water? Is it just marketing spoof to get more jobs? You can learn almost anything about anyone online, um, which, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, no, for sure. And before we head into some rapid fire questions to learn a bit more about Dave himself and what makes you tick and some of the underlying stuff that's built you up to where you are today. I was wondering if you would be okay with sharing your favorite failure as an entrepreneur, because in even listening to you right now, you've had two companies at the same time, you're dropping one off, your other one's growing. And on the surface, a lot of people might view that as extremely successful in its own right. And I think a lot of a lot of people feel as though they need to achieve that destination tomorrow. And there's a lot of anxiety and stress around becoming a big entrepreneur with a big company that has all these people and you have no day-to-day and all of these Mm -hmm. things. So what would you say has been your biggest 
learning lesson or failure that has kind of shaped you on your journey as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I'll share one kind of recent, I'd say, uh, even going back as recent as last year, you know, I, I was running painting and I was really wanting to take this leap to revive. So, you know, my plan was last year, let's grow as aggressively as we can. So that's what I decided to do. And, and it came with a big learning lesson from a financial perspective. So what happened was in 2018, we cleaned about 235 homes and it was a good kind of business on the side to painting. And last year we decided, I decided, you know, I'm going to go out, get a bunch of vans, hire a bunch of people. I'm going to get a manager to run this company and the thing will just scale to the moon, you know, in one season. And so we did grow a lot. We moved from 235 jobs to 1,075. So we did, you know, shoot up a lot, which, which was great. But hang on, hang on, hang on. You're talking, are you talking painting or house cleaning? Sorry, I'm talking cleaning. Yeah. Talking cleaning. And you, you grew five times? We grew five times. Yeah. So Jesus. we, yeah, 235 homes in 2018, up to 1,075 and pretty well the same average job size. So we're, it, it is apples to apples here. So, you know, we, we did grow a lot and that's great. And that looks great on the Facebook and the Instagram and everything. Wow. Revive's doing so good. People are messaging me. This is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. It's really strokes the ego, but one of my favorite quotes now is revenue is for vanity, profit is for sanity. And so it was a humbling year for me. And I felt like the bills were coming, like the revenues coming in great. We're keeping 13 guys cleaning in May and this and that. But when the dust settled at the end of the year, I looked at our bottom line and I was like, man, we really weren't as profitable as we should have been. We, we didn't take on any debt. So we did finance a lot of that with with profit, but still there was very little profit left at the end of the year that I kind of, you know, it really lost kind of the wind in my sails. And I felt like I failed a bit as an entrepreneur. I thought, wow, I grew this in one year in a short amount of time. That was great. But then, you know, kind of the other side of it was the margin is definitely not there. So it's something that I'm learning from. I say there's no mistakes, there's only learning. And so I'm almost a little bit scared this year to, you know, really keep a focus on what is our margin and, um, you know, being very disciplined with our financial blueprint as we talk about. So, you know, I still think we'll grow this year. Our goal is to not grow five times, but we will add, hopefully add a few crews. And I really want to optimize the business this year and, you know, make a good, make, you know, we don't have to get filthy rich off this, but I do want to make, you know, an acceptable profit margin. And I think in our space, by time you pay everybody, including a salary for the manager, the the goal we're after is a 20% net profit margin that can change if you're in your home remodeler, you're in a different industry, but that 20% goal is what we're after for margin after again, paying for everything. So that's our goal this year is continued growth, but really achieving that 20% margin because we definitely didn't hit that last year. 
That's amazing. It's, I mean, it's, it's almost a success in and of itself to grow, but it was obviously hit on the bottom line. And I hope that we can check back in this time next year and see how it ended up for you. I'd be curious to see how the year goes and how Mm. much sales grew as well as revenue. So we should definitely aim to check back in. Um, Is there anything else that you want to touch on uh, industry specific before I get into a bit more about yourself? Yeah, maybe one last thing, just a piece of advice. If anybody's listening to this and finds themselves in home service or even pressure washing, I just came back from this conference down in Phoenix. It was called the ResponsaCon. And they're actually, a, it's a software called Responsivid that, you know, really automates your sales follow-up process. And I think this just speaks to how much learning you can get if you're in a certain room with people. So it was a three-day conference. And I'll keep the story quick, but I came back to BC after a three-day conference. I had 48 initiatives to implement into Revive. And that was just from people on stage or people I met over dinner, lunch or whatever. And so I think just as you grow your business, don't underestimate what you can learn from people who've already you know, went there before ahead of you. And there was a few speakers at this conference who had built up big service businesses, multiple locations, and they're literally telling you, I'm sitting front row taking notes and they're telling you how they did it. So um, whatever I'm doing, whatever we're doing with Revive is not original ideas that come from Dave's head. They're literally things that Dave has learned from book, podcast, conference, meeting people. And I'm just a big uh, action taker, implementer, I love routine and I'm a very consistent person. So if you point me in the direction and give me the roadmap, I'll try run through that wall. So all that to say, as you grow, I think you can learn so much from uh, other people. And I think that's why Revive's been growing quick is because I have this hunger to, to learn and, and to implement. Amazing. I, there's a conference actually coming up for podcasters called PodFest. And right. some, the company that I host my podcast through sent me a free ticket. And I was kind of humming and hawing uh, if I should fly down to Orlando for the weekend and check it mm. out. And I think enough people have said that they've gained benefit from these conferences that I think I have to go. It Man, my, uh, my buddy I mentioned there in Kamloops, Brandon, he was like gung-ho to go on this. And I was kind of like, uh, I'm not... I'm not a big like networking kind of guy. Uh, I'm actually introverted by nature. And probably after this call, I'll just need an hour by myself to <laughs> sit and chill. But he was pushing me and I said, you know what, let's go. And it it was a great conference for one. But two, it just blew my mind to literally be in the room with people who are doing what you're doing. There, there was more learning in those three days than I've had in the last year. And um, so much so, I was having a hard time sleeping coming home because I just wanted to had all these things <laughs> I wanted to knock down. So even David in the office was like, what, what has happened to you? It's like you got brain surgery. So I think <laughs> we, we can get that way too. As entrepreneurs, we chase all these different things. So you do need to like prioritize, but you know, one, one implemented system is better than nothing. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, let's, let's hop into what I call rapid fire. This is Definitely a testament to Tim Ferriss, who does something similar, but I feel that it's a good way to get a bit of the inner workings and some of the more recent stuff that's happened in your life. And my first question is simply, I saw you drinking a coffee, so I'm assuming yeah. you're a coffee drinker. What's your favorite What's your favorite brand? Is it Starbucks? This is it, man. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not too fancy, so I'm a, a short pike and a tall cup uh, every morning. 
And sometimes uh, this was an afternoon one. If I got to put on my extroverted self and get kind of hyped up, I'll, uh, I'll grab one in the afternoon. So that's, that's my go-to. There you go. And you, you were mentioning, obviously, that you continue to educate yourself. So what would you say are like the top one to three books or podcasts that you've consumed in the last year or two? Yeah, or maybe um, even in your life that you really enjoyed. For sure. So books, I mean, it's probably commonly said, but the e-myth was where, again, a lot shifted for me. I had been running painting and I thought, my goodness, the, you know, the entrepreneur, the manager, the technician. So that was, if you haven't read that, I would, I would start with that. That would be one of my favorite books. It's funny, I'm trying to look on my bookshelf, but we're moving. So I just packed up all my books. So kind of... Uh, <laughs> kind of at a loss there, but I, I am a, a big reader. And then from the podcast perspective, I've really been trying to focus and listen to podcasts geared for home service businesses. So a couple I'll rattle off. I'm now calling, I'm trying to catch up on the, the tools of the trade one. I think I have a few to go, but I'm, I'm making headway on that. Um, Thank you. And then I do like, um, there's one called The Wealthy Contractor. And um, the the thing Brian hammers home every week is just that what I said, revenue for vanity, profit for sanity. He says, I don't care how big your business is, it's got to be profitable. And he only has guests on that have achieved a certain profit level for their industry. So I love that. There's tons of learning. And then one other home service one is um, there's a fellow down in Phoenix, Tommy Mello. If you're in home services, you've probably heard of him. He's got a massive empire of uh, a garage door service provider. So he uh, has consistently, you know, put out good content too. So learning on that front as well. So I'm, I'm a big guy on Audible. Um, now I, I don't sit and read a physical book as much unless I'm on vacation. But if I'm running in the gym, I'll put on a uh, put on an Audible and uh, make some headway in a book or, or a podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I've kind of transitioned out of the paperbacks and into the, the audio space, definitely. Yeah. Who inspires you to be your best self every day to, sh to show up? Obviously, you have your, your water projects, but maybe, maybe if you can't think of anybody off the top of your mind, uh, do you have any mentors that have helped you directly along your, your journey as an entrepreneur? Man, I would honestly say like I was I saw that question in the prep and I was just like, I feel like it sounds exaggerating, but I bet I have over 100 mentors like I see it might sound cliche, but I see I try learn something from everybody I meet. I don't care bigger business, smaller business, how many trucks it doesn't matter to me at this conference in Phoenix. I was just going around meeting people, hearing their story, learning from them. And, and I think when you meet people, when you have a posture of trying to learn about them, I think it goes a long way. And, you know, you can't learn anything. I'm yakking right now. I can't learn anything with me talking. But if I hear someone else share, that's where the real learning is. So I would say there's no, no real mentor spe specific, sorry, but uh, just lots of learning through books and uh you know, even a mentor of mine would be my friend Brandon there in Kamloops. You know, he's got 10 year head start on me in the cleaning business and tons of crews and this and that, but he's so level headed. We talk every second day and, and there's learning from both of us. So I think the word mentor gets kind of tossed around and overused. And I think 
people do want to give back, but I think time is such a precious commodity now that, you know, if someone said to me, oh, be my mentor, we have to meet at Starbucks once a week, every Wednesday at one, I would say, thanks for the invite, but could we do like a phone call? So it, it, time is so precious. So I think that peer learning where there's two ways, I think is, is where kind of the, the secret sauce is in today's day and age when everybody's starved for time. But yeah, I think there's, there's just so much learning. And I think one thing with that is uh, another mentor of mine, Howard Partridge, has a, a cleaning business in Houston, and he has coined this term FTI, failure to implement. And he basically says, we have all these tools to learn, but you know, there's that failure to take implementation. And so that's why I came back from this conference with these lists of 48 items to implement and been you know, working through them best I can. So I think you have to pair that learning with the implementation because I've got friends too who go to a new conference every month and their business seems the same every time. And it's hard to see, you know, what got learned and put into action. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And one of the reasons I like asking that question, and people have probably heard this quite a few times now, but you can get education from anywhere and it doesn't necessarily have to, I think a lot of people think that mentorship takes the shape of somebody that's willing to do what you said, sit down once a week and have that conversation. And it doesn't have to be that way. And those people are usually coaches and they're charging you money. If you just get, put yourself out there and you pick the phone up and you talk to other people, whether that's on LinkedIn or anywhere else in your circle, most people like you mentioned, are on this journey alone in a lot of regards, and they're happy to share. And it becomes a, a two-way funnel, and you both end up learning from each other. And I think that's probably the best way is to have that type of engagement. Exactly, man. I'll give you a quick example with that too. Uh, my buddy Brandon there in Kamloops, I heard him on a podcast, and I literally found him on Facebook. I added him, and uh, I just shot him a message. I said, man, fantastic talk. I might have even asked him a question. I forget. But um, that was two years ago now. And like I said, we've become good buddies. We were just sharing an Airbnb at this conference here in Phoenix. And it's like, that would have never happened if one, I wasn't learning and two, oh, it's so weird to add somebody on Facebook you've never met. Well, I think if they're in your space and you can learn from them, why not? And it, it's not, it's even a whole nother chat of learning from your competitors. You know, we've got men in kilts and shack shine and these big franchises all right in my backyard um those guys are my friends we text and talk on the phone quite regularly we all have the same problems and i think just seeing your industry not as you know the glass is half empty quick get it while you can but rather how can we share collaborate grow if you have that mindset i think uh there'll be more than enough work to to keep you busy and you'll always be learning yeah, no doubt. Definitely. Uh, now, I guess just in wrapping up here, is there anything else you've you've mentioned your favorite quote as of recently is, I say that again for me. Revenue is for vanity, profit is for sanity. And I really like that one too, because when I'm at this conference, you know, first question people want to ask, how many trucks you got on the road? And they're trying to size up how big of a dog are you? And to me, like, I used to really care about that. And it does kind of show the level of your business, but you could be a 10 truck operation and it could be a complete disaster, not profitable. I'd be more impressed with the guy running two trucks who his employees love working for his company. He's profitable. You know, he's taking care of his family. Like there's, there's more to life than just 
throwing more trucks on the road. But at the same time, on the other side, if you're an entrepreneur, you're probably wanting to grow and you just cannot help, you know, what Michael Gerber calls it's a disease, an entrepreneurial disease. Like we go to bed thinking about what new businesses we can start and the rest of the world thinks we're weird, but that's how, one of the things I love in life is how, when you meet another entrepreneur, you are like vibing with their mindset. Um, my brother-in-law <laughs> is, is very entrepreneurial and we get in trouble at family dinners because we just will dominate and go back and forth of all these new ideas. And we're like, Oh, there, there are other people sitting here too. We should, you know, include. So it's just funny how that happens. Yeah. That's is, is your wife on board with the entrepreneurial brain? She is. She, she's honestly, man, like my best counselor. Um, she's not on payroll per se in revive, but I call her uh, a consultant for revive because she gets it morning and night. My ideas, <laughs> half the time they're not good. Sometimes they do have some legs, but, um, she's also just such a good read of people and she can hear me talking about our staff. She knows our guys and she's just such a good, uh, good sounding board, but no, she's got her, uh, her own career going on that she's doing really well with and, and she loves it. And again, that's another point of mine. I think as business owners, you know, people think, Oh, your spouse has to be in the business. Otherwise she doesn't support you. And I would fight back at that and say, I want my spouse. I want Alex to be happy. I want her to get up Monday morning and be like stoked. You know, I'm going to teach my students clinical nursing skills. Uh, and I'm super happy with that. I'm, I'm her biggest cheerleader and she's my biggest cheerleader. But again, a whole nother podcast on having being aligned with your spouse. You need same values, same vision. She knows why I love revive. She knows where I'm wanting to, to steer it. And she's uh you need your spouse a hundred percent on board or, or it's, it's uphill hundred percent. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that's a perfect way to wrap up with a, Beautiful shout out to the wife. Yeah. Uh, you're hiring right now. So let's throw a quick plug in for that. If anybody's looking to get in touch with Revive or if they've heard this uh, and they're in the lower mainland and they're in the Surrey area uh, or close by and they, they want to get in touch, maybe even potentially for a job, where can they find you? Yeah, I'm. Uh, they can find me on Facebook, just David Mormon, if they want to talk to me personally. Otherwise, uh, revivewashing.com slash apply is our uh, fancy application form takes 10 minutes to fill out it'll go straight to our office so you'll be hearing from david or myself uh for an interview cool and i will be linking to all of that stuff on the website at toolspodcast.com slash revive if you guys want to check that out and definitely go and apply to these guys it sounds like a great place to work and dave thanks so much for coming on man i had a great time and i i'm really happy with all the stuff you're able to share and thank you again yeah, thanks, Colin. The The time flew by. We're already over an hour. I know. It's crazy, right? Well, yeah. uh, thanks again, and we'll be in touch. All right, man. Thank you. That's a wrap. That's a wrap, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tools of the Trade Podcast. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave us a five-star review. For show notes, blog posts, resources, and access to our newsletter, check out toolspodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the episode today. 
If you want to get even more value from David, then book your free coaching call at homeservicebusinesscoach.com.